Come on, put your hands together. We came to celebrate the name of the Lord, that powerful name, the name that's able to protect us, the name that's able to lift us and shield us from our enemies. Anybody want to celebrate that awesome name with me? The writer said, the Lord is my strength. He is my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's my God, and he is my rock. So let's lift our voices together and shout unto the name of the Lord. Good morning, Strong Tower, family and friends. Welcome to our 1030 a.m. Sunday morning service. In just a few moments, our very own pastor, Dr. Chris Williamson, will be bringing a timely word. If you have prayer requests or would like to give online, be sure to log on to our website or app at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. Good morning, church. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1? The book of Acts chapter 1, and we know how important this Sunday is leading into Election Tuesday. And I have been praying not only for myself, that I can give a good word to the people of Strong Tower and those who follow us, but also praying for other pastors that they can preach a good word and not necessarily rely on cliches, but to preach what thus saith the Lord. And so um, let us pray right now. And let's ask God to bless the word. But also, I want to pray because I know that there are people in our congregation who have concerns um, because of what may happen once the election is over, regardless of who wins, that there are people in our congregation, black people in particular, who are concerned about their safety uh, because there have been many voices in the wind and on social media saying all kinds of violent, threatful, threatening, harmful things. Um, and so we, we, we want to ask God to fight for us in the spiritual realm so that we don't have to take up any kind of arms of self-defense in the natural realm. So, so as we go to prayer, let me pray specifically about that in the name of Jesus. Father Paul said that we are to wage a good warfare. And Lord, we know that we are in a war, we are in a battle. Thank you that has already been won and determined. Nevertheless, Lord, we're still fighting here. We're not fighting to get the victory. We're fighting from a place of being victorious. We know that the enemy has not accepted defeat even though he is defeated. But Lord, here we are fighting to take territory for the kingdom of God, fighting with the keys of the kingdom in our hand to unlock the gates of hell, to preach the gospel and to see captives set free. We are fighting in the name of Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We are fighting in the name of Jesus to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to visit those who are in prison and in, in the hospital. We are fighting in the name of Jesus to make space for the foreigner, the stranger, and the immigrant. We are fighting in the name of Jesus to stand up for the widows and the orphans and those who are oppressed. Lord, we are fighting. And because of that, we are a threat, Lord, especially our brothers and sisters with darker skin. We are a threat in this country where white nationalism, unfortunately, has taken on new meaning. 
But God, I ask in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would dispatch your angels to encamp around your people, that, God, you would cast down every fiery missile of the enemy, that you would cancel every attack aimed at your people, that your people in no way would live in fear, that, Lord, we would not fear those who could harm the body, as Jesus teaches us, but we would fear the one who controls soul and body, and we trust you over all things. So, Lord, I pray that you would put courage in the breast of every believer in Strong Tower Bible Church and those who are under the sound of my voice and believers across the country, especially believers of color, to not be afraid come Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday of this week. Again, Lord, we pray that you would put down every evil scheme of the enemy and that we would recognize that you are in control, you are sovereign, and you are good, and you are God. Lord, help me to preach your word with accuracy. Help me to preach your word, Lord, with clarity so that men and women might be edified, so that, Father, you might be glorified, so that the devil might be horrified. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We give you the glory, for it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen. Amen. If this season that we're in has taught us anything, it's taught us that we need leadership. We need leadership, qualified men and women to lead us, not only from a place of government or governance, but also in every sphere and institution in America. Leadership. When there's leadership uh, that, that who have a uh, uh, character, leaders who have integrity, leaders who care about people, leaders who are servant leaders, great things can happen. And so often I am asked to define what a leader is. So often I'm asked, Pastor Chris, can you tell us what, what a leader is? And, and, and I'm here to say, as I've said in the past, that there is no one qualifying definition or all-encompassing definition of what a leader is. But I will say this, I believe that a leader is a man or a woman who recognizes that when a need arises, they choose to rise up to meet the need. That's it. That's what I think a leader is. When a need arises, a leader is a person, man, woman, boy or girl who chooses to rise up and meet the need. They're just ordinary people who will trust in an extraordinary God to do great things. Leaders, they're not always born, they're not always made, but they're just ordinary people who rise up when a need arises. Leadership. And when we come to Acts chapter 1, Peter, the apostle, he was the official leader of this group of believers once Jesus had ascended and went back to heaven. Peter is the unofficial leader. Jesus did not specifically say, Peter, you're the leader. But when we look at the scriptures, we see that if anyone needed to step up at this time, it was Peter. It should have been Peter, and I'm glad that it was Peter. Why? Peter was not only one of the 12 apostles, but he was in what has been called the inner circle that Jesus had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. And in, even in that inner circle, Peter seemed to be the one closest to Jesus. 
And when Jesus had, had resurrected from the grave, he told the women, he said, go and tell Peter and the brothers that I have arisen. We also know that whenever a listing of the apostles is given in the Gospels, Peter's name is always mentioned first. And so that says a lot that he is the first among equals. And when we come to Acts chapter one, we see the same uh, premise in Acts chapter one, verse, uh, let's see here, 13, Peter's name is mentioned first when the apostles are listed along with the other disciples who are in the upper room, including Mary and the women who also follow Jesus. Peter, Peter, Peter is the unofficial leader of the 12th and of the early believers. You see, the Lord was no longer with them because he had just ascended and he told them to wait for the promise from the father. And the promise was the pouring out of the precious Holy Spirit to be upon them and to be in them. So the Lord ascended and said, wait for the promise from the father. So the Lord was no longer with them to give them instruction or to give them personal direction. But they did have two things. They didn't have the Lord with them, but they did have prayer and they had the word of God. Now, the Holy Spirit is coming in Acts chapter two, but they don't even have him yet. They have the word and they have prayer. And so the early church, we know they were making prayer and supplication, according to Acts chapter one, verse 14. And I'm here to say that as a result of that prayer, the Lord visited Peter with divine insight to say that now is the time to get ready for the outpouring of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit to get the church formed and empowered to go out and make a difference in the world. But first they had to take care of some things, some housekeeping. Why? Because no longer were they 12 apostles, they were 11 apostles. And so it was important for them to get another person to make it 12 because Judas, who betrayed the Lord, as we're going to see in a moment, he committed suicide. He is dead. But in order for the church to move on well, they've got to fill that vacant spot. And so Peter understands that. He had been praying. The Lord speaks to his heart. Peter goes into the word of God, specifically in Psalms, as we'll see in a moment. And by combining prayer and the word of God and dig this, all they had was the Old Testament. They don't have the New Testament yet, but, be, but between prayer and the word, they had enough to determine the will of God for them as they were to take the next steps as the early believers. And here's what I want you to take away today, okay? Here's my main point today. The reason why they had to, to fill Judas's seat was because there was work to be done. That's the message. The early believers realized that there was work to be done. And I stopped by here today to say to you that there is work to be done in our generation by people who name the name of Jesus and who are a part of his universal spiritual church and even his local physical church. There is work to be done. Therefore, they had to get things in order. Why? 
because the church was built on Jesus as the cornerstone. But according to Ephesians 2.20, that the apostles laid the foundation of the church on top of Christ, the cornerstone. So you can't lay a good foundation with 11 apostles. You can lay a good foundation with 12 apostles upon Christ, the cornerstone that the church may be built. So they've got to get the church built properly in order for it to go out and work powerfully in the world. And so we see here in Acts chapter one, beginning at verse 15, the lengths that they are about to go through to make sure the church is ready to operate. Why? Because there's work to be done. I'll begin reading in Acts chapter one, verse 15. And the Bible reads, and in those days, Peter did what? He stood up, stop and pause. Once again, that's what leaders do. Leaders stand up. And the one who should have stood up to offer leadership in this moment was Peter. So Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. So now we see Luke giving us a parenthetical comment. And he says, altogether, the number of names was about 120. And so there were 120 believers in this upper room. Now, there were more believers at that time because 1 Corinthians tells us that when Jesus ascended, there were over 500 uh, brothers and sisters there when he ascended. But it just so happens that here in Acts chapter 1, there are 120 believers in the upper room waiting on the promise from the Father, the precious Holy Spirit. So there's 120. Verse 16, Peter said, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. And so Peter, who is praying, who has time to read the Bible, the Old Testament, the Spirit puts two and two together for Peter because the disciples had the Spirit, Jesus breathed the Spirit on them. They, they, they kind of got like a small dose of the Spirit until they got the full baptism of the Spirit in Acts 2. And so, so and, and we also know that when Jesus had resurrected, he opened up Peter's mind so that he could understand the Scriptures. So Peter has this uh, divine help in understanding Scripture, and he also has been praying. And he says that the writings of David, that when David wrote, David was talking about Judas, even though David didn't know the name of Judas or anything specifically about Judas. But that's the power of prophecy, the prophecy of Scripture, that there would be a near fulfillment in David's time when he wrote these Psalms. And there would be a far fulfillment in the days of Peter when David wrote those Psalms. But it was God who revealed these things to Peter to put two and two together. And so let me go back again and read in verse 16. Peter says, men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So Judas worked with the guys for three and a half years, but they did not know that he was of the devil until the final days. 
And so he blended in really well. Verse 18, another parenthetical comment from Luke. He says, now this man, Judas, purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akel Dama, that is field of blood. Let me just tell you briefly what happened here. We know that, Jesus, uh, that Judas went to the chief priests and the scribes and says, what will you give me if I hand him over to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver, which also is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And, and, and Judas sells Jesus out. He betrays Jesus. He leaves the upper room during the Last Supper after Jesus washes his feet and he dips the sop, uh, the bread in the uh, in the, in the liquid, and he leaves. And the Bible says when he goes out, Satan enters him, it is night, and he goes and he gets the squadron of soldiers to come and find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because G Judas knew how Jesus operated, that Jesus would often go to this place. And so Judas went and got the soldiers, brought them there, they arrested Jesus. But later, Judas felt bad because he says that he betrayed innocent blood, according to Matthew's gospel. So he goes back and he gives the money back to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he goes out and he hangs himself because of his uh, grief and because of his guilt, he hangs himself. And what we see here is that in verse 18, it says that this man purchased a field. Now, Judas did not technically purchase a field. Why? Because he gave the money back and he went and hung himself. But the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, rather than putting that money back into their holy treasury, they said that this was blood money and they decided to buy a field with the money. Uh, uh, and so they used Judas's money to buy the field. So in a sense, Judas purchased the field. But let's go a little bit deeper here. When Judas hung himself, no doubt, from a tree, that after hanging there, apparently his body began to bloat from, from having the blood cut off and, and he's hanging there. The branch breaks, he falls into a field and his body bursts open. I'm sorry, young kids, for, for this, but the Bible talks about these entrails. His guts came out. And so... The Pharisees and them said, well, the field he fell on, we'll use his money to purchase and we'll bury him there and it will become a burying place, a field of blood. And so that's what happened to Judas. Verse 20, Peter says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his place, his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. And so Peter is quoting from Psalm 69, verse 25. Then Peter goes on to say, and let another take his place. And now Peter is quoting from Psalm 109, verse 8. Pastor, where are you going with all this? Just hang on. Peter had been praying. Peter had been in the word. God used prayer and the word to show Peter what happened then. And what needed to happen now going forward for the early believers to 
uh, be ready for the work that needed to be done. So they knew that they needed to fill Judas's seat or his office. But the verse says that his dwelling place should be desolate. But then they say another needs to take his office. How, how can those two work together? Well, here's what I believe. They didn't need another Judas, but they needed another apostle. Did you get that? They, they didn't need another Judas, but they needed another apostle. So let me throw this in for free. For anyone who's been through a hard relationship that ended up becoming a broken relationship and that person is not in your life anymore. Could be an ex-husband, an ex-wife, uh, a friend who ended up being a frenemy, not a true friend. And, and you're, you're, you're wondering, man, man, how do I handle this? I believe sometimes after you've done all that you can to live at peace with people, to be amicable with people, and they continue to be nasty, continue to be disrespectful and rude and to hurt you, you need to get to a place where you move on and you allow their place in your life to be desolate. You don't need that person anymore, but you still need people in your life because some of us have been hurt so bad, we don't want to trust anybody. That's not how God wants us to live. God may say, uh, uh, you have forgiven that person. You may even love that person, but you can't trust that person. So therefore, let their place be desolate in your life and go and fill that place with someone else. Uh, I threw that in for free. I got to get going. Verse 21. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up, from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter is laying out some ground rules here. We've got to fill Judas's office. We don't want another Judas, but we need another apostle. And so we here are the qualifications. We're looking for someone who, who has been hanging with us since Jesus started his ministry under the baptism of John the Baptist all the way until he ascended up to heaven. We're looking for someone who was with us. And so this may have been a person who was part of the 70. We know there was the 12, but the Bible also says there was a group called the 70 that Jesus empowered to go out and to cast out spirits and to preach the gospel on and on. So Peter says, we don't want a novice. We don't want somebody who just came along in the last year. We want someone who's been with us from the beginning to fill this spot that Judas has left vacant. And so we're going to see three things as I work towards the close of this message. We're going to see, number one, that they proposed. Then we're going to see, number two, that they prayed. And then number three, that they pitched or cast lots. All right. Hang with a pastor. Hang with me. Here we go. Verse 23. They proposed. Look at verse 23. And they proposed. Who is they? The 120 believers in the upper room. They proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. So they proposed. After hearing of the qualifications needed, they recognized who fits those qualifications, and the people gave two names to Peter and the apostles. Notice it was two, not one, two, not three, Two, not four, two. They gave two people to be considered for this position. And what this shows me is that the 120 believers 
in the upper room had differences. In other words, they didn't all come up with the same person, but they came up with two different people. So this lets me know that it's okay for believers, once again, to be different, to have differences, to see things differently. We don't have to see everything the same in order to be God's children. So here you have 120 people minus the 11 apostles, and maybe they were included in the proposal. We don't know for sure, but two people came forward. I like that. There's room in the body of Christ to see things differently. So there was a group that liked justice and they put him forward. There was a group that liked Matthias and they put him forward. Praise God. But here's what we got to see and take home. Both of these men met the qualifications. Both of these men were qualified to hold that office. Hello, somebody. Both of these men could do the job. And it was just a matter of which one. So they proposed. Number two, they prayed. Look at verse 24. It says, and they prayed and said, you O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Ooh, ouch. Where did Judas go? Where was his own place? I believe his place was in hell. Judas went to Hell, that, that's my belief. Jesus said in John 6, have I not chosen you, the 12, and one of you is the devil? The Bible says that Satan entered Judas and, and, and Jesus said, woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It would be best had he not been born. So I believe that Judas went to hell. He didn't go to hell because he committed suicide. That is not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that, that is the unforgivable sin. Judas did not truly believe in Jesus Christ because Peter and the other apostles denied the Lord, whereas Judas premeditatively betrayed the Lord. Two different things. That man is in hell. But anyway, that's not the point I want to get at. I want to get at the fact that they prayed as a group of believers. They prayed. They prayed to a sovereign God that he would reveal his will. And when they approached God, they said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all men. In other words, God, you are omniscient. You know all things and you know what's best and you know what we need right now. And we're appealing to you. We're crying out to you. You, O Lord. And this word Lord in the Greek speaks of God being the master. So they're saying, master, the one who's in control, you know the hearts of all men. Show us whom you have chosen, you master. And I got to stop and pause and say this. As I was preparing this message this week, and I began to look at kurios in the Greek, which is the word that we translate into Lord in the English, kurios, master, that this was a way that slaves, when they prayed to God, they would call God master on purpose. Why? Because the slave master used to think that he was in control of the slaves' lives. 
And so the slaves would pray, knowing that the master was an earshot to let the master know you are you may be the earthly master, but you are not the heavenly master. And so by calling God master, that was a way to remind the slave and even the slave owner of who God is and whose times the hands the slaves really were in the hands of God, not in the hands of man. So it was a reminder to the slave and even the slave master, there's one higher than you. And, and, and one of my good friends who is in heaven with Jesus, uh, Reverend Denny Denson, whenever he would pray, that's how he would address God. He would call God his master and his strong God. And he, 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 would, he would open prayer and he would say, now master, strong God. And that comes out of the slave church, the, the tradition of the Christian faith in the slave church master. And so these believers back then, they're saying, Master, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. You know what we need. We trust you. Show us whom you have chosen. And I must say this. Is there anyone who has a throne or a position of power in government that God did not choose and appoint directly or allow to arise indirectly. In other words, no one has a seat anywhere without God's permission and without God's approval. Even if those people are good or wicked, righteous or unrighteous, no one gets to the throne without God. And there are times he will allow wicked people to uh, uh, ascend to a place of power because God has ways, remember, that are higher than our ways and thoughts that are higher than our thoughts. He knows what he's doing when he allows Nebuchadnezzar to be a king. He knows what he's doing when he allows Hitler to lead Germany. He knows what he's doing. Okay. 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 So we trust him. Oh, I got to get moving. So we see that they proposed, they prayed, and then finally they pitched. They pitched. Look at verse 26. And they cast lots or they pitched the lots. And the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So they cast lots because back in those days, the Hebrew people would cast lots, which in our day, it would be like rolling the dice or flipping a coin in order to determine what the will of God was. And so that's what they did back then. But it's interesting to note that once the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter two, you never see the church using this method to discern the will of God again in terms of operating by chance, if you will, uh, by casting lots or rolling dice. But even then, when they cast those lots, they understood something about the sovereignty of God. Because in Acts chapter 16, verse 33, it says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So they cast the lots or pitch the lots, but they realize that God is the one who determines how the lots fall or how the dice land. And so, 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 so once that occurs, the lot falls on Matthias, not justice. Matthias is chosen, not justice. And we see that the people of God accept the decision because it says that he was then numbered with the 11 apostles. So 11 turns into 12. Now, Paul would come later and he would make it a baker's dozen, 13. 
but, but there, there would be 12. That would be the foundation of the church. And so now that they've got their house in order, they're ready to do the work, to do the work that is coming for them. But they can't do the work without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So church, I want you to consider these thoughts. The Christians who proposed justice and who voted for him had to go on and give their support to Matthias. Remember now, they, they didn't all vote for Matthias earlier, but Matthias wins the casting of the lots. And so now we see that these Christians who proposed justice would now have to go on and give their support to Matthias. Another thing we see is that the Christians who proposed justice had to get over any personal qualms or issues they might have had with Matthias. And they had to decide to go on with Matthias. Why? Because there was kingdom work to be done. You see, when they pitched the lots, they trusted God, which is why they didn't pitch a fit. They pitched the lots, but didn't pitch a fit because they realized that God controlled the falling of the lots. They didn't protest the outcome of the lots. Another thing is that the Christians who proposed justice obviously accepted the decision that Matthias won. Another thought is that the Christians who proposed justice had to be mature losers. And the Christians in the 120 who proposed Matthias had to end up being gracious winners. So mature losers and gracious winners. That was expected in the body of Christ because it wasn't about Matthias or justice. It was about the kingdom of God going forward because there was work to do. And I've just stopped by here today to say that after the votes are cast, and many of us voted early, some of us will stand in lines Tuesday, but after the votes are cast, and after the votes are counted, the presidency will be determined by Tuesday night, Lord willing. And I just want to know, if your candidate wins, can you be a gracious Christian? And I want to know, if your candidate loses, can you be a mature Christian? Your world shouldn't get get all the way or get all the more better because your candidate wins and your world shouldn't fall apart if your candidate loses. Okay. So, 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 so I pray that you will be able to go on because there is work to be done because after all the votes are cast and counted on Tuesday and the presidency is determined, once again, we've got work to do on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and in December, and in 2021, and in 2022, we've got work to do regardless of who is seated in the Oval Office at the White House. We've got work to do. And when I say we, you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about people who name the name of Jesus, people who are a part of the universal and local churches. I'm talking about us, we. And we've got work to do, and we're going to do this work with and without the government. 
Mm -hmm. There's a place for the government and the church to work together, but we don't need the government to do the work that God has called us to do. So we're willing to work with the government and we'll surely work without the government. Why? Because we have a king higher than the president who's given us a commission to go out and reach people in word and in deed, to love people with the gospel, to see them go to heaven, but also to experience them heaven until they get to heaven. We've got work to do. Therefore, to the wonderful people of Strong Tower Bible Church and to anyone who names the name of Jesus who's listening to this message, I just want to say to you as I close, if you work now with single moms, keep on working. No matter what happens on Tuesday, if you work now with single moms, keep on working. If you work now, in prison ministry, keep on working. If you work now with underserved children, keep on working. If you work now with sick people and people who don't have health insurance, keep working, keep on working. If you work now with children in foster care, keep on working. If you work now with children in adoptive services, keep on working. If you work now with law enforcement, keep on working. If you work now in the court system, keep on working. If you work now with hungry people who need to be fed, keep on working. If you work now with naked people who need to be clothed, keep on working. If you work now with people who need to be educated, keep on working. If you work now and fight for racial justice and equality and reconciliation, keep on working. If you work now in the area of public service, keep on working. If you work now with teenagers who are at quote unquote risk, keep on working. If you work now with people who are chemically dependent, keep on working. If you work now with the homeless, keep on working. If you work now with teenage pregnant mothers, keep on working. And if you work now on the mission field, keep on working. We've got work to do, keep on working. So don't get distracted by who's there or who's not there. Keep on working. Why? Because the church has work to do. We've got work to do. No matter who wins the presidency, keep on working. Today I preached hoping that you would understand that the early church worked together even though they had different people that they supported and proposed, at the end of the day, they decided to work together. Why? Because there was so much work to be done. And in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes, giving them power to take it to the streets, giving them power to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, giving them power to lead people to Christ, to plant churches, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry. The Holy Spirit gave them power to do the work. But you've got to notice this, though, that when the Holy Spirit came on that 120 group of different Christians, they were on one accord. They were unified. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them. And if we're going to see a change in the country, the church has to stop being divided over political lines. We've got to come together in Christ because of Christ and for the sake of Christ, acknowledging our differences, but recognizing that we've got to work together 
because we've got work to do. Father, thank you for this word. Pray that it would find hearts that are fertile and that you would produce fruit some 30, 60, and 100 fold in each and every one of us who has ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying through the Word of God for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our church, if we were all together in this sanctuary, I would ask you all to stand to receive the benediction. But you're at home and I'm here. And hopefully, Lord willing, in 2021, we will be back together in this sanctuary because, again, we're asking God to have mercy on the land and to allow us to come back together. Uh, but, man, not only do I miss seeing you and hearing you and worshiping with you, I miss hugging you. Man, you know, social distancing, we can't touch. We've got to always wash our hands and we can't hug. And, man, we have not been able to hug each other for months, ever since March of this year. And so, man, I'm starving for some hugs from the people of God. And I pray that soon we will we'll be able to get together, be together, and hug one another. But until that time, man, just, just, you know, hug yourself. Hold on, hold on. Hug your family members. Get some healthy physical touch in your life. Amen? And let's keep in mind, we've got work to do. So we'll get over and get through our differences because we've got work to do in the earth so that men and women can hear the gospel, experience the gospel, see the gospel, respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh boy, in, in my left ear over here, I hear Ron Isley singing. I, I've got work to do. Oh, man, oh, man, I'll be singing that song all week. Now, I got work to do, and so do you. And let's do like the early church, and let's pray and ask God to give us strength to do the work that he's called each of us to do and what he's called us to do collectively. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Lord, for being in control. Thank you, Lord, for having all authority. Thank you, Lord, for including us in the work of the kingdom. But, oh, God, we need you. We can't do anything without you. But we know we can do all things with you. So, Lord, we are a dependent church. We are a church that looks to you, that needs you. We know, Lord, we can't do anything unless you do it in us and through us and many times do things for us. So, Lord, we, we, we're not too proud to say that. As a matter of fact, we want to rebuke pride. We want to uh, confess pride in anything that says it's up to me. Oh, no, Lord, we humble ourselves and we pray for your grace and we say, God, we need you. I pray that you would show each of us what we are to do in these last and evil days until you return to help somebody else out. So thank you, Jesus, that you were anointed with the Holy Spirit and you went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Lord, might that same anointing be on each and every one of us that we would find good things to do and that we would overcome the works of the enemy in Jesus' name. So bless your folks, Lord, to be a blessing. Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and make a difference no matter who wins this presidency this week. We trust you and we're going to work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. 
get to work. Thank you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower.